Music on this program was recorded, and this is WFGW, WMIT-FM, serving the seven-state area from Black Mountain, North Carolina. It's 11 o'clock and time for the morning worship service. Today, our program will originate at the Montreat Presbyterian Church with the Reverend Calvin Thielman, pastor. Father, we thank thee for the bright gift of this new day. We thank thee for the glory that surrounds us in the beauties of nature, but best of all, we thank thee for the light of the knowledge of the glory of God that streams from the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that thou wilt assist us to worship thee aright, that thou wilt cleanse our minds and our hearts, and help us to be attentive to thy Holy Spirit, that just the message that thou hast caused us to hear may come forth from thy word upon our souls this day. Wilt thou help us to pray aright that common prayer which Jesus taught his own to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. the King of Heaven, to his feet thy tributes bring, ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven, evermore his praises sing. Let us sing to the praise of God the hymn number 31, Praise My Soul, the King of Heaven, the 31st hymn.
Let us confess our faith in God. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Our first lesson from Holy Scripture is one of the Psalms, Psalm number 40. It is selection number 11 in the back of the hymnal. Selection 11 to be read responsibly. I waited patiently for the Lord. He drew me up from the desolate pit and out of the miry clay. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust. Thou hast multiplied, O Lord my God, thy wondrous deeds. Were I to proclaim and tell of them, sacrifice and offering thou dost not desire, but thou hast given me an open ear. Then I said, Lo, I come. In the roll of the book, it is written of me. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. I have not hid thy saving help within my heart. I have spoken of thy faithfulness and thy salvation. Do not thou, O Lord, withhold thy mercy from me. For evils have encompassed me without number. My iniquities have overtaken me till I cannot see. But may all who seek thee rejoice and be glad in thee. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. Amen.
Let us bow in prayer. O Father of heaven, whose love profound a ransom for our souls hath found, before thy throne we sinners bend, to us thy pardoning grace extend. Our Father, we seek also not only grace and forgiveness for those sins which we have done, but we seek also to praise thee for thy continuing mercy by sustaining us with life and by giving us the privilege of being here today in the measure of health which we know. We thank thee, our Father, for the land in which thou hast caused us to dwell, for the sacrifice of men who have been killed upon battlefields round the world to preserve for us freedoms which we take so easily for granted. We pray, O God, our Father, as is commanded of us in Holy Scripture, that thou wilt direct and guide those who rule and govern us. Especially do we pray for thy servant, our President, and especially do we pray for him at this inauguration of a new administration. We pray for both him and for the Vice President and for all of those newly elected officials who shall come into office, that they may realize that unto whom much is given of him shall much be required, and wilt thou cause them to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly before thee, our God. Our Father, also do we pray in this day for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, for those to the very ends of this earth who know and love his name and who are assembled for worship for him or who worship him in the secret places of their own hearts. We pray for those who are kept from a place of worship this day because of infirmity and age and affliction. We ask thee to bless them. Especially are we mindful of those members of our own flock here who are ill and who need thy help. We pray that thou wilt be with Mrs. Suzanne Hall. We pray, Father, that thou wilt bless Mrs. Solomon. And for Dr. Nelson Bell, we seek thy grace and mercy. And for others who may be known or unknown uh, to us as a congregation, we seek thy mercy for each one of them and pray that thou wilt restore them as it pleases thee to help and to give them thy strength to bear the discipline of suffering in a manner that shall honor thee. Our Father, we pray that thou wilt also hear us as we seek for thee thy help in our own needs met in this chapel today. Thou knowest why we have come here. Thou knowest what we need the most. And so we pray that from the pages of Holy Scripture thou wilt take that truth which our hearts most need to hear and help us to hear it with fresh ears and to see Jesus as we have seldom seen him before, and to go forth from this place rejoicing in what he has wrought for us and for our redemption. We do pray, O God our Father, for each student in this college. In facing this examination week, we especially pray that thou wilt not be unmindful of their needs, but to bless those who are frustrated, those who are in despair and confusion, those who need... Uh, to exercise more rigorous discipline with their time? Wilt thou assist them in their concentration and in their work? And wilt thou bless them in the satisfaction of learning and achieving and of broadening their knowledge? 
We pray that thou wilt bless the instructors, the president and the vice president of this college, and those who seek to help our young people here. We pray for colleges and universities every place, and for all who work in hidden places as researchers, trying to find ways by which human pain may be alleviated and eased, and trying to find means by which man may be helped. Wilt thou bless them, we pray. And our Father, these petitions, with the needs of our own hearts, we present before thee, because thou art a loving Father, and seekest to bless us, and we come not in our righteousness, but we ask these gifts in the name of thine own dear Son. visitors we would have here this morning. I doubt if we would have any, but I want to congratulate you for coming through the snow <laughs> and to say that I'm glad that you're here for worship. Uh, I think the necessary announcements are printed in the bulletin. I do want to say that there is a, a movie to be shown here tonight, a Christian film at 7.15 that I believe uh, will be enjoyed by those who attend uh, to see it. I want us to sing now uh, a hymn number 275, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound That Saved a Wretch Like Me. Now, I have had at the request of one of the officers of the church who particularly wanted this hymn sung today, uh, he said to me, why don't you have the fifth stanza printed in the bulletin so that we can sing it? Uh, that he said, I regret that it has been left out of our hymnal. I regret that it's been left out too. I know that it's poor grammar, uh, but it's mighty good theology, and it has a real message for us, and I suppose there can be poetic license exercised here. I think you're supposed to say no fewer days and began or something, but anyway, it doesn't rhyme that way, so <laughs> we, we'll sing it like it is in the old book and forget grammar and praise God. Let's sing 275 Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound. Amen. 
just one little verse I want to read from the Gospel according to Matthew, and then a very familiar portion of Scripture from the 19th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. And as Jesus passed forth from thence, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom, and he saith unto him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And then in Luke 19, And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was chief among the publicans, and he was rich. And he sought to see Jesus, who he was, and he could not for the press, because he was little of stature. And he ran before and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him, and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. And he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all murmured, saying that he was gone to be the guest with a man that is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood, and he said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house, for as much as he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Amen. May God add his blessing to this reading from his word. Let us worship God now with our gifts. May I call your attention to the fact that the anthem to be sung this morning is printed on the opposite uh, side of the bulletin here, and you can follow the choir uh, as they sing it.
God our Father, how could we ever praise thee enough for our Savior? How we do bless thee for him this day. We pray that thou will take the gifts which we give in his name and superintend their use to the end that they shall cause many to be enabled to hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Wilt thou bless us in the act of giving and use that which we give to thy glory. For Jesus' sake, amen. I've read somewhere that over in Europe there is, there used to be an old covered bridge. And back in ancient days, people would go through this old bridge and see erected at 12 different points images of the Savior. One of the images would be of Jesus the physician, Christ the great physician, healing. Another of the images would show him as Christ the good shepherd seeking after that which is lost. Another would show him as Christ the great teacher teaching uh, God's message to men and so on. And that each weary traveler as he passed through this bridge would pause before that image which most met his need and say a prayer uh, to the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, the thought behind the building must have been a beautiful thought because it seems to tell us that we can find in the Lord Jesus all that our souls most need. And this is precisely what he came to do. He came to show us that God is for man, not against man. Man is against God. We have rebelled against him without a cause. And we stand alienated by him because we have tended to shut him out and away from us. But for all true seekers for God, he reveals himself to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Nowhere is this more evident than we, when we see Christ the Savior searching after those lost men and women who have been thrown onto the junk heap of society and seeing them transformed by his grace. Luke was a physician. He was a doctor. And no doubt being a doctor, he was impressed by the cures that Jesus wrought. He had seen lepers come screaming to the top of their voice, unclean, unclean, ringing their bells and the crowds of people running away from uh, the lepers lest they catch the dreaded disease. And yet Jesus would go through all of that and touch the leper and he would be cleansed. And Luke was greatly taken by this healing Savior. And Luke had heard the words of Jesus and he wrote them down carefully. Uh, as they were repeated to him by those who listened to Jesus speak. He wanted us to see the matchless teaching of the Redeemer. But Luke, however fascinated he was by the teaching of the Lord Jesus, and however taken he was by the miraculous cures which he wrought, nothing seems to have attracted him more than the miracle which the Lord Jesus wrought in the souls of those who were lost from God. For he tells us again and again, how Jesus takes a woman from the street who is a prostitute. She comes and weeps at his feet and goes away cleansed and transformed and forgiven. And then he tells us other stories of a boy who had taken all of his father's wealth and in great that he was went away and left his old father to squander his wealth. And how that one day that boy came back again 
And Jesus said, God is like that father. He wants everyone who has wandered away from him, he wants them reconciled unto him again. And that's precisely what Jesus came to do through his cross. And then he told us about Zacchaeus, and he told us about Matthew in another place. And I think these two must have known each other. In Matthew we find only one verse given, for Matthew was a modest fellow, and he does not speak much about himself. He just simply says that there was a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom. That is, he was a tax official. He was a customs official gathering taxes from the people who passed by his way in Capernaum. And that Jesus one day came and looked at him and said, Matthew, follow me. And in another place in the Gospels we read that Matthew left all and followed him. There is only one way to be happy in our fellowship with Jesus. And that is when we leave all to follow him. Matthew took nothing with him out of his tax office except his pen. And with that pen he wrote down the Sermon on the Mount. You wouldn't have looked for a gospel in Matthew, but Jesus looked in Matthew and saw what you could never see nor what I could never see. He had different eyes from what we have apart from his transforming grace. And then he comes to Jericho. And Jericho is a famous, famous old city. Joshua had hurled a curse there, and the walls of Jericho came tumbling down when he fought the battle of Jericho. There in Jericho, Elijah and Elisha had established a school of prophets. And the old city had been destroyed again and again. It was in a mild and temperate zone where there were many springs, and it was a lush and fertile valley in which Jericho lay. It was 17 miles from Jerusalem. It was famous for its produce. Josephus writes lavishly about what grew there. There were dates, there was palm oil, there were balsams that were used for medicine. There were impressive buildings of the Romans. It was an important town. It was the gateway to the whole world as far as that little country was concerned at that time because it was a crossroads of commerce. Many people came and went there. And naturally, in this important town, there would be many officials of the government. And the Romans collected taxes, for we've always had sin and taxes, it, or so it seems. And uh, taxes are here being collected by the Roman government. And the way that they let out the uh, contract for collecting taxes, many Sunday school pupils know, but let me refresh your memory. The Roman government would sell the right to collect taxes in a certain district for a fixed sum. And when that sum had been raised and paid to the Roman government, it did not ask any more questions. And so this made it possible for whoever had the contract to collect taxes to be a very vicious, brutal person in bleeding his countrymen white by collecting more than he should. And so the publicans in the Gospels, whenever you see them uh, grouped with other classes of people, you usually read a phrase like this, the publicans and the harlots went out to hear him. You see, publicans were looked upon as renegades. They were despicable people who had sold out their own countrymen in order that they might uh, gain as much money as they could. And many of them were real looters who took advantage of it. And Zacchaeus must have made the most of his because it tells us that he was chief. He was chief of the Department of Internal Revenue for the district of Jericho. 
And in about another couple of months, when we start to fill out our income tax forms, if you think the tax man is unpopular now, then all you have to do is have a little imagination to consider how unfriendly the thoughts would have been toward the tax collector back in the day of the Lord Jesus. They didn't have much use uh, for these uh, tax collectors. Uh, they did not like them at all. Well, after telling you about this, I need uh, to also tell you about this central figure in this little drama here, or the figure who comes into the presence of Jesus. His name is Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus was a Jew. He was a son of Abraham as far as the blood is concerned. But as I have already indicated, he saw this people out. He was a traitor. And they hated him for it. And Zacchaeus was a little man. And it's a strange thing what great things little men have done in history. Uh, some endocrinologist that I was reading not long ago uh, said that short people felt that they had to be aggressive in achieving their goals and so they expended a great deal more uh, energy and effort in that direction. And some short people have made right big names for themselves. Uh, in the Christian church, we had a man by the name of John Wesley who was a little fellow about five feet, four inches tall and weighed only 135 pounds. There was another little man, as far as evil is concerned, named Nikolai Lenin, who caused communism to be popularized and spread. He was five feet and two inches in height. Uh, Napoleon was a little man. Well, I said a while ago that Zacchaeus came out on the stage. Strictly speaking, it's rather ridiculous the way we first see this man. It's funny. He's up in a tree up in a tree with a little street urchin. You would expect the little boys on the street to climb up in a tree to see Jesus. Uh, he is a famous person. He is coming that way. They wanted to see him. And so they would climb up a tree. But here is this big tax official, the chief of all of the Roman government's tax officials around there, up in a tree. It must have been a silly sight. And you know, if you're ever around famous people, you'll notice one thing about them. They hate to be caught in a position that makes them look funny. They'll ban any photograph. They'll go to any extreme to keep uh, uh, themselves from being photographed in some ungainly posture because it seems to be, uh, do some harm to their dignity. Here is a man who would have been feared by the people had they walked into his office. Uh, here is a man that they would have trembled when they came to, to pay their taxes, although they hated him. And look at him up in the tree. How silly and ridiculous and ludicrous it must have seemed to them. But you know, this also tells us something about Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a true seeker. There are a lot of people who founder around. Sometimes I talk to them. They talk like they are searching for God so hard, just like he was little and was lost in some place and difficult to find in the worst way. Uh, but God is not that little. And if we really search for him with all our heart, and the scriptures mean by that if we're willing to give our hearts to him, then we'll find him. Many people do not find God, as Professor John Bailey used to say at the University of Edinburgh, simply because they're afraid of what they might find. They don't want God because when they do find him, they might have to do what Matthew did, get up and leave all and go and follow him. A great many questions that are propounded as intellectual arguments against the Christian uh, faith 
or, or ruses that are put up because people do not want to pay the price of discipleship. It's always easier to ask a question or to propound an argument than it is to simply get up and follow Jesus, to get up and go after him and follow him and seek him out with all of our hearts. If you look at the people who come to Jesus in the pages of Scripture, you can see this uh, illustrated. Here is this man who, from Capernaum who came, a centurion. His little daughter was dying. And he did not come to Jesus and say, will you give me uh, the latest uh, medical science as to how my little daughter might be healed. But he said, say only the word, and my little daughter will be healed. And Jesus said to him, she, she is healed. He honored that faith. When people come to Jesus earnestly and really want him, then he really is going to help them. You remember that time Peter was sinking out on the waves? He was out on the water. He was a boastful chap, and he was trying to walk to where Jesus was. And you remember he heard the sound of the, the wind, and he looked and saw the boisterous waves, and he took his eyes off Jesus, and he began to sink immediately. And do you know what he said? He said, help. That's what he said. And it was a good prayer. Jesus heard it. And there will come a time when that's about all we can say. But I believe that he meant it with all of his heart. He meant it. He looked for Jesus and he cried for help. Uh, Jesus didn't propound any teachings to him. He didn't say, Lord, teach me how to overcome my fear of this storm. His mouth was filling up with water. He couldn't even talk. All he could say was help. And the Lord helped him. He reached to him and lifted him up. Well, when we seek after him with all of our hearts, he is going to meet our needs. But we must go without any reservation. We must do as that old song that the choir sang so beautifully a while ago. We must simply rise and go to Jesus with all that we are. Well, Zacchaeus was determined that he would see Jesus, and he forgot about his dignity. He wouldn't let the crowd keep him away from Jesus. You know, Zacchaeus could never have joined the Presbyterian church. Uh, that would have been a crime against dignity to be caught up in a tree or in uh, this way. Uh, you see, we would be thinking about the people. We would say, I don't want anyone to see me up in this tree. I can't see over the crowd. And, and I know if I climb up in the tree, they'll all look at me and, and make fun of me and be amused by it. And after all, I have to remember who I am. I'm Zacchaeus. I'm chief of the publican. No, he didn't say that. He forgot it all. He forgot the crowd. The crowd will often keep you away from Jesus. There's many a person making his way to hell as each day lives simply because he's afraid of the crowd and the crowd stands between him and between Jesus and they're not going to do anything that would make them look funny uh, in the face of the crowd. They're not going to go to any extreme. They won't sometimes come through the snow to come to church uh, I read about one city over in England, Lewis Mumford tells about it in one of his books on cities, that actually uh, sent a petition to the city fathers asking that the church bells on Sunday not be rung because it disturbed the people from their sleep. That's how far some people can go. They're not very earnest in their seeking after God. But Zacchaeus forgot about the crowd, he forgot about his dignity, 
and he scampered up in that tree to see Jesus. And then Jesus comes to the point where Zacchaeus is, and he looks into his eyes. And I think that that little Jew must have had his heart pounding inside. And he thought over and over, he sees me. And he was thrilled by the fact that he saw him. He was thrilled by the fact that Jesus saw him. Jesus saw him. Not only that, Jesus knew him. He called him by name. He said, Zacchaeus. And I think that that must have sounded wonderfully good in his ears. Zacchaeus, he called him by name. And all he could say was, he knows me. He thought inside, he knows me. He knows who I am. Now, I am one of those people who believe the miracles of the Bible. There are many that I can't understand, but there are none I don't believe. But I don't believe this was any miracle. I don't believe that through some supernatural knowledge, Jesus knew who Zacchaeus was. I think someone told Jesus all about Zacchaeus. And I think that someone was that publican that I read the one verse about a while ago. You see, people who are often ostracized by society begin to stick together. They form little groups and they stay together. You have Alcoholics Anonymous, a splendid organization for the rehabilitation of those who uh, chronically cannot control their appetite for liquor. And they stick together in a society. And here is a man who is ostracized because he is a publican. And there was another one named Matthew, and he was ostracized too because he was a publican. And I think that somehow during the three years in which Matthew walked with Jesus, that he either made his way back to Jericho and told his old superintendent of taxes all about Jesus, or else maybe when Jesus sent out 70 disciples two by two, he was one of the two, and he said, let me go to Jericho. I want to go there. And he went to see Zacchaeus. And I think he must have told him something like this. Zacchaeus, I know you. And I've seen you searching for something for a long, long time. And you can't find it with money. And you can't find it by your position. And you feel guilty and tortured by your conscience day and night. And you're even shut away from the religious people in the synagogues and down at the temple. But Zacchaeus, let me tell you, you know that I've been in the same nefarious trade that you've been in, but Jesus called me one day, and I followed him. And life can never be the same again. He has changed me, Zacchaeus. And what he did for me, he can do for you. I know he can. And Zacchaeus, if Jesus ever, ever comes to Jericho, whatever in all this world you do, you go and see Jesus. You will never regret it. Go and see him. Have you ever told anyone that? Those of you who are sincere about your faith in Jesus Christ, have you ever given a simple testimony of your faith to some other person? Have, have you ever told them, Jesus took hold of my life and I gave my heart to him? And I would not want to live apart from Jesus. He means all the world to me. 
Could you say what John Newton, the man who had been an infidel, a libertine, the slave of a negress woman, a rumhead out in, in Africa who brought slaves to this country, could you say what he did in that song we sung of his amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me? I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. What do we mean by this word lost? Jesus said right here in the Bible, the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which is lost. And let me say to all of the high and mighty Presbyterians, if you are ashamed of that word save, and you just don't want anyone to hear you say save, go off out in the woods where no one can hear you and shout, thank God I'm saved, and it'll do you good. It'll do you good. Jesus used the word. Saved. Saved because they were lost. There are plenty of lost people in this world, a lot of them lost who don't know it. We have a generation of lost people. A society that has lost its aim. We need desperately to be saved just in the same old-fashioned word that Jesus used here. Saved. Zacchaeus found that salvation and Matthew found that salvation. That's why he told Zacchaeus all about it. And Jesus Jesus said, come on down, Zacchaeus, I'm going to your house. And Zacchaeus scampered down that tree, and, and he couldn't believe him. What was happening, it all seemed like a dream to him. They, they went up the, the road, and all the way up the road, he kept thinking, he's coming home with me. And Zacchaeus, who had been guilty, who looked at his expensive carpets and his draperies and his furniture and his pictures, and could see the pinched faces of those whom he had cheated and destroyed, and who wanted to be delivered from his terrible conscience, he sees Jesus coming into his house. And I've often thought that whenever I get to heaven, I want some time to go and talk with Zacchaeus, and I want to ask him a question. I want to say, Zacchaeus, sit down here and tell me what Jesus said to you when he came to your house that day. What did he say? What did he say? I don't know what Jesus said to Zacchaeus, but I know what the church people said about Jesus. They murmured. That's what it says. They grumbled. They've been grumbling ever since. He's gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. That's what they said. John Dillinger got out of the penitentiary in July 1933. He came home. His mother died the same day he got home in, in Mooresville, Indiana. He tried to get a job as a machinist. And they said, where'd you get your training? He said, the penitentiary. They said, we can't use you. He went away. And then he went on a wild spree of killing. Then one day they shot him down in front of a theater in Chicago. Once I went into the FBI building in Washington and I saw a wax figure, a replica of John Dillinger in the clothing that he had on the day in which he was killed. I looked into the yellowish brown eyes and his 
reddish-brown hair and his little mustache and his thin face and his drawn mouth. And I thought about something that I had read about him somewhere, that once a judge, when he was a young teenager, had told him that he would give him a suspended sentence if he would go to Sunday school. And so John Dillinger went to Sunday school. And the Sunday school teacher had to tell him one day that the church people had said they were going to withdraw their children from the Sunday school if they had to go into a classroom with a person like John Dillinger. And when they told him that, the little boy, John Dillinger, went away and he never came back to church again. Jesus came to seek and to save that which is lost. He could see in Matthew what other people couldn't see in Matthew, and he could see in Zacchaeus what other people can't see in Zacchaeus. And he can see in you and in me what other people cannot see in you and me. I often think that all of us are, are hypocrites. To some degree, more or less, we see a person. This is so painful in the Christian church. And we remember the Bible says you have to love everyone. And there are some people that we just don't like. And we don't want to love. And when we see them, we smile. But it turns out that it isn't a smile. It's actually a grimace. And they can see right through it and tell that it's phony. Because really down inside, we don't love them. We say over and over, the Bible says that I must love them, so I love them, but you can't love that way. You have to be able to have the eyes that Jesus had and to be transformed by him, and then you can see and can understand the other person's situation more. You can understand that he needs God too, and that you need God all the more for your attitude. And then something of the light of the Lord Jesus can be reflected in you. Last year when it snowed, my little boys asked me why snow was white. You know why it's white? I, I think I may have told this. It's white because a little speck of dust turns into a, a something like a drop of water which crystallizes and it is opaque that is you can't see through it and its opaqueness causes it to reflect light and that's what makes snow white and when we reflect the light of Jesus Christ in our lives we show forth his love to those about us Zacchaeus was a transformed person no man could ever have gone in and stayed with Jesus and come away and be the same anymore. And that's one real mark of whether or not you're converted, is whether or not you've been transformed in your attitude, in your mind, in your heart, and surrendered those areas that you don't want to surrender to Jesus Christ, in which you can say, I've given every bit of me to him. I haven't kept anything back. I've given it all to him then when we've done that, we can have the greatest assurance of, of our salvation. We come away transformed people with the love of Jesus in our heart, the old-time religion that makes me love everybody. It's what the mountaineers used to sing, and it 
and it's a good thing. Well, Zacchaeus came out, and he said, if I've taken anything from any man by false accusation, I'm going to restore it to him fourfold. That's 300% interest with the principal. That's pretty good interest. 300% interest with the principal. I'm going to restore him fourfold, and then I'm going to give half of all that I have to the poor. I got to thinking this morning, he wouldn't have much left if he did that. But it didn't matter to him anymore because he had something greater than money. All the welcoming committee at Jericho had their plans knocked awry when Jesus left the religious people and went with that sinner. But out of it, we have a saint because Jesus could see in him what we couldn't see in him. Turner is the greatest landscape artist who ever lived. Once he had painted a familiar English scene and had put it on exhibition in London, and one lady looked at it and remarked to him, she said, why, Mr. Turner, I never saw that in, in that scene. And he said, I know you didn't, madam, but don't you wish you could? Don't you wish you could? There are a lot of people who can't see what grace can do, but Jesus can see what it can do, and he knows and he can give us eyes to see. Here's a little piece of doggerel verse that I want to close with that has meant a lot to me, and maybe it'll mean something to you. It says, "'Twas battered and scarred, and the auctioneer thought it scarcely worth his while to waste much time on the old violin, but he held it up with a smile. "'What am I bidding, good folk?' he cried. "'Who'll start the bidding for me?' A dollar once, a dollar twice, two dollars. Now who will make it three? Three dollars once, three dollars twice. Going and gone, but no. From the back of the room, a gray-haired man came forward and picked up the bowl. Then wiping the dust from the old violin and tightening its loosened strings, he played a melody pure and sweet as a caroling angel sings. The music ceased in the auctioneer in a voice that was quiet and low. Said, what am I bid for the old violin? And held it up with a bow. A thousand dollars. And who will make it two? Two thousand. And who will make it three? Going once and going twice. Going and gone, said he. The people cheered. But some of them cried, we do not understand. What changed its worth? Swift came the reply, the touch of the master's hand. And many a man with life out of tune, all battered and scarred by sin, is auctioned cheap to the thoughtless crowd, much like the old violin, a mess of pottage, a glass of wine, a game, and he travels on. He's going once, he's going twice. He's going and almost gone. But the master comes, and the thoughtless crowd can never quite understand the worth of a soul or the change that is wrought by the touch of the master's hand. Let us stand in prayer. Our Father, more than learning any philosophy, more than learning any teaching, 
more than learning any ideas, we need to come face to face with the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to feel his touch upon our lives. And Father, if there is present here one person today who is true in seeking after God, but who somehow has felt that what they have done is difficult to be forgiven and that the scars still remain, wilt thou bless that soul by touching that one and making this a bright new day, as clean and as white as the snow that fell, wilt thou make our hearts to be renewed. And wilt thou, O God, our Father, so bless that as we have come close to Jesus, we may reflect his light and love to others. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the communion and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, our keeper and guide, be and abide with us all, now and forevermore.